Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for these ladies coming and pushing through through the busyness. I know we all have, Lord, but we're so grateful to come and have the word on our laps, to have our Bibles open, to be able to worship you, um, to be able to have that freedom, and then be able to hear the word, and then also to discuss the word in our small groups to even get deeper. Thank you for the women who have brought food. We just thank you for everything that makes this morning happen, and we are grateful. I ask that you would give me the gift of teaching on a very difficult chapter, and that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So open to 1 John chapter 3. Um, We have all of chapter 3 to cover, so I'm going to take it in sections, and obviously I'm not going to be able to dissect every verse like Pastor Jim does on Sunday and only gets through two verses. We can't do that here. So So we're going to dig in. Our title today in 1 John 3 is No Righteousness. And to know righteousness, we must know the righteous one. To live the life of righteousness or to live right, that comes through being a child of God. And so here's my summary from the start of this chapter. It's who we are, believers, and what we should live like, agape love in action. So let's begin in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so these are exciting verses. So notice the exclamation point after verse 1. And so that means it's very exciting. We, we, our young adults are also doing this, First um, John, and... Someone pointed that out, and I was like, yeah, look at that exclamation point. So John is telling this with excitement and encouragement to us as believers. He speaks in amazement about this manner of love that makes us children of God. He wants us to behold it. That is the true meaning, to look at it and study it intently, to turn our eyes and mind to it. John is referring, obviously, to our salvation. And our salvation is something that we can be in awe of. We are bestowed with this love from him or lavished, it can mean. And so bestowed or lavish has the idea of one-sided giving instead of a return for something earned. And Jesus is definitely that picture. To expend or give in great amounts or without limit. And I've shared this before. I certainly can do this in a sense with our grandkids, lavish love on them. Um, However, our resources, our energy, our patience are limited, but the Lord's is not. He never grows weary, but we do. And this love we are lavishing on others or grandkids or whoever it may be, we pray it can be a small representation of his love for them. Our goal in grandparenting is that they may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if we can be a small part in that, we feel very blessed. So what does this lavish love look like from our Heavenly Father? It looks like grace. And most of you know this, unearned, undeserved favor, grace. And we don't deserve heaven, but it's offered to us. And many of you probably know the definition of grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And that's in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We are imperfect human beings, but God loves us the same. And he will continue to pursue you 
continue to pursue me? Have you ever been in a relationship where, you know, you hang out with your friend and it's all great and you guys have a great time, but then when that's over, if you're not the one that reaches out, it doesn't happen. And so you're like, okay, I'll just wait another week, two weeks, three weeks, and they never call you. So it's a, like a one-sided relationship, but you continue to reach out because you love that friend. Or maybe you say, I've had enough. I'm not reaching out anymore because obviously I'm not that important. Well, God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I am done you know, if we don't reach back. And that's the beauty of Jesus. He never says, I'm done. He never quits. He's lavish in his love towards us and towards sinners. And so he will pursue us. And this gives me hope for my prodigals and for those who are backslidden. So, however, it's important for us to understand what it means to be the children of God and that not everyone is a child of God, even though God does love them lavishly. God's love is expressed to all in the giving of Jesus for the sins of the world in John 3.16, which most of you know, but it's a verse you can read and read again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So this does not make all of humanity the children of God because he died for them. And this is something I did not understand until later in my Christian life. We need to have accepted his free gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of his lavish love, which many of you have, to be a child of God. But just in case there's one person who has not, please know this, God's love is expressed to all in the giving of Jesus for the sins of the world, as we stated in John 3.16. And he desires that relationship with you. Once you receive him, you then become a child of God. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Romans 9.8, That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. So just because you were born does not make you a child of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if you are a child of God, you have an inward assurance of this. And this is important as we move through these verses because they're very, very deep. Um, in John, 1 John 3.2, he lets us know that as children of God, so children of God, those who have been justified, saved, it's a done deal, and you have a new standing in Christ that is never lost, and we've given those verses before. But John lets us know here that as children of God, when we die, we will be like him. Meaning we will finally be done with this sinful body and we will take on glorification and receive our new body. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three: For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. But right now, however, we're going through the sanctification process. And that process, we are to be set apart for his purpose, and we're supposed to abide. As we talked about last time, we are supposed to abide in him. And in 1 John 3, 3, he states that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So knowing our eternal destiny and living in this hope will purify or sanctify our lives. And so we should have that desire to be more like Jesus now. We should have a desire to abide. Let's go to 1 John 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 
Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And so before we get into this, I want to give this verse, and this verse I want you to keep in mind as we move forward on the rest of the verses, and it's 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And that word incorruptible means immortal, imperishable. And as believers, that is the seed we have in us. And so it does not fade away. It can't be taken from us. And so this is very important as we go through these verses. So I know we've discussed these type of verses before in 1 John. Um, these are strong words that we just read. But let's remember that according to the verb tense John uses here, it does not mean... When it says does not sin, it means does not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. He's not talking about sin that we quickly get convicted of and repent from. So let's go back to John's own words in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so they can seem contradictory. And I've been going back and forth with some of the ladies in the Bible study, and I had a friend share this week that these verses in 1 John 3 are very clear that those who are abiding, loving, forgiving, etc., are of God. Those that aren't doing those things are not of God. And she stated that we as Christians sometimes candy coat what the Bible says because we're in denial of the bottom line truth. And I think absolutely we need to take these verses to heart. And you'll understand as I go forward. So let's read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And we talked about deception last time. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So I read in a reputable commentary on this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And they said, Paul speaks strongly to the brother who did the wrong. Don't you realize how serious your sin is? The only thing you may gain from cheating your brother is eternity with the unrighteous. Paul was not categorically denying the man's salvation. Paul says he is among the brethren. However, Paul will not allow a religious faith that is separate from our actions. If a Christian can cheat and defraud his brothers without conscience, it may be fairly asked if he is a Christian at all. And so as our, my friend and I were going back and forth, it comes down to, and we agreed, if we are clearly practicing sin, we must examine ourselves. It's so easy to examine everybody else. It's so easy to say, oh, that's not a believer. Oh, look what they did. 
not a believer. Um, but we are to examine ourselves. And in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And we had a friend last week pass away, an old friend from long ago. Um, he was 72. He was in our church 40 years ago. So um, he was probably in his 30s. We were in our 20s. And he was a musician, just very talented. And he made a wrong choice. He was deceived. He fell into sin. And we, mem- we remember it clearly. And, you know, life went on. He stayed married. And they worked it out. And they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary when he passed away on a hike. And, but someone wrote this about him. And I, I just loved it. Because it makes us see the bigger picture of life. You know, it's not just always... Well, they did that, so that's it. They're doomed forever. Um, it said, it said um, music, family, community, and Jesus were the cornerstones he built a life upon. He reckoned with his own story, regret, and humanity throughout his life and was able to reclaim what many others would have discarded. This includes his integrity. Where often men would defend, he learned to kneel. Where often he could have quit, he chose to show up still. Steve walked with the humility of someone who had confronted himself in the mirror and grew into the character of a man his family will forever grieve. And I just thought that was so beautiful that he finished well and that he examined himself. He didn't defend, examined himself, he knelt down before the Lord and he finished well. So that's the bigger picture we also need to look at. So 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And so we need to examine ourselves. And so as we move forward, we are children of God. If we have accepted Christ as our Savior, we are not to take sin lightly. Now, how do we act? Remember, it's who we are as believers and what we should live like, agape love in action. So let's go back to 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then verse 16, 1 John 3.16, a beautiful counterpart to John 3.16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So if we are children truly children of God, then it should show in our likeness to our Father and in our love for our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and also beyond that scope. Children have similarities in resemblance to their parents. And even if they've been adopted, if you've been around adopted kids that have been around their adopted parents for, or I guess they're the adopted ones, but anyways, if they've been around, you start seeing all these mannerisms show up and you're like, oh my gosh, you look just like your dad. And um, so you see the mannerisms of their parents come out in them and they begin to take on the resemblance. And why? Because they've been hanging out with them. And so we should take on the resemblance of our heavenly father by hanging out with him, by being in the word like you guys are. 
These verses go into the situation with Cain and Abel. And the point in these verses in John is that it's all about the heart. Our heart needs to be clean before God. Cain slew Abel. His heart was not right towards God. So let's all turn to Genesis 4. And we're going to read 1 through 7. Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So we're not told by what outward sign the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's, but we are told the results. And I personally do not think it was about the sacrifice, so to speak, um, but about the heart, possibly disobedience, however that played out. Psalm fifty-one seventeen says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. 1 Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord... For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God warned Cain that sin was crouching at the door like a dangerous beast, but he also promised him he could overcome it. And God is always fair, always just, always true. He never changes. Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Revelation 16.7, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. But Cain chose wrongly. Instead of heeding God's voice, He succumbed to Satan's voice. Murder, of course, is the lowest level on which one may live in relationship to another person. But just because we have not committed murder does not mean we do not need to examine our own hearts once again. 1 John 2, 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. 1 John 2, 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So this takes it back to the heart. And it takes us back to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, which we already read. And Jesus' own words in Matthew 5.21-22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And so it's all about the heart. God, Jesus always brings it back to the heart, not the action. Um, and it's who we are, children of God, and what we should be like, how we're going to live that out in our action by agape love. We as believers are among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. And that's in Acts 26, 18. And this was how Jesus described his followers, his people, his family. They are sanctified, set apart from sin and self, and they are sanctified by faith in him, by faith in Jesus, not by works or spiritual achievement. And so in our study in 1 John has been a lot about the darkness versus the light. And we need to remember that there's always hope to turn from darkness to light. There is always forgiveness. Isaiah 1, 15 through 18 says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so that is that beautiful picture of forgiveness. So in your groups, you can discuss, obviously, can a child of God hate? So that's something you guys can discuss. But let's make it clear by God's word, we do not lose our salvation. Do we need to abide? Absolutely. Let's go to 1 John three seventeen. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So this is practical application to what we profess. If, if we love, if we are believers, we are to act. James 2, 15 and 16 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So we are to have action as believers. And there's so many practical ways we see action poured out just in this body alone. Um, taking meals to people in need, taking them to appointments, praying with them, calling them, serving the girls, boys, the women who may be sex trafficked, serving those in their grief, sitting alongside them, people going out on mission trips, nurses I've heard that sign up with Samaritan Ministries for medical missions out of the country, caring for aging parents, cleaning for people who can't, sponsoring children in need, giving finances, and it goes on and on. And these examples take sacrifice, and it goes beyond us as well. We know that. And it's many times inconvenient and a sacrifice to act. So how can we be active in our faith? We are to put forth action. But then again, there are the actions that can be put forth and the heart's not there. So always, always examine the heart. And Jesus is our ultimate example. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I read Pastor Chuck's commentary on this. And he says, I often get a little suspicious of a person who constantly asserts how much they love me. Love isn't shown by words. Talk is cheap. 
Love is manifested by deeds. He gave the verse in Romans 5, 8, we just read, and then he continued. Jesus didn't come to earth and say, I love you, and then let us go to hell. He loved in deed and truth, and we are to do the same. Let's go to 1 John three twenty. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all thing, things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now, most people feel guilty when they feel guilty, they don't go to God. But the remedy is to take the conviction and repent. Guilt breeds condemnation. So if, it's, if you're doing it on of guilt, condemnation breeds separation. And separation breeds isolation. And none of those are from God. And you'll see that with people. Sometimes when they get into a sin, they disappear and they're, they're away. And you see that they separate, they isolate instead of going to God. And so none of that is from God. Condemnation can well up inside us that has nothing to do with our standing before God. It may be the work of the enemy of our souls, who according to Revelation 12.10 accuses the brethren, or it could be the work of an overactive conscience. At those times, we trust in what God's word says about our standing, not how we feel about it. However, conviction breeds repentance, which breeds reconciliation which breeds restoration, all of which are from God. And so the bottom line is guilt is from the enemy, conviction is from God. John 16, 8 says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. And you can find that in Titus 1, 9 and Jude 1, 15. So God is greater than our conscience, our heart. He knows all things. He pricks our heart. And we must remember to balance everything with the word. As we know in Jeremiah 17, 9, he tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. And so we must go to the word of God. And always go to a brother or sister in the Lord, too. When you feel that conviction or that condemnation, go to other believers. Pray. Sort it out. Make sure you're hearing from the Lord. Back to 1 John three twenty two, And whatever we ask... We receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so here in verse 23, John does not refer to these two aspects of obedience as two commandments, but as one commandment. And grammatically, it's not officially correct, but spiritually, it's right on. These two are one. And when Jesus spoke of the greatest commandment, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he added another saying, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39. So these are two commandments, but they are clearly like one another. John fifteen twelve. this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I love that. It's not hard to love Jesus and to stay with him. It's really not a burden. It's a joy. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so my exhortation is God will sort everything out and everyone else out, 
but let's examine our own hearts. It's who we are as believers and what we should live like, love in action, that agape love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I know it's so quick, Lord, and there's so much in these verses. So we pray as we get into our small groups, we dig even deeper. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you for your word, that it's truth. Help us to always go back to the word. In Jesus' name, amen.